0: Amen, amen, it's good to be with you guys this morning as you're sitting, as you're sitting down, just turn to your neighbor, just be like you were loved. Just make sure they, make sure they know that this morning. It's so good, uh, so good to be in church together, it's so good to be with God's people and uh, if you haven't been with us, we've been in this series called Churchology We've been studying uh, what God says about the church um, because dare we be the people who uh, try to define it through our own tradition or experience or our own understanding, but we really want to understand what God's word says about the church and try to live in accordance with that. Uh, Week one in this series, we talked about our unity in Christ and in faith, how that brings us together both in the church represented universal across, across all of time and Uh, leading up even to this um, season in history. Uh, Last week we talked about how God has established leadership in the church, and there's an importance for humility to be um, the predominant characteristic of all people in the context of both being in leadership or uh, being a disciple in the church under leadership. And today, week three, uh, we're going to take a look at what God's grace has given us and what we are called to do. Uh, with the gifts that he's given us it's a challenging message it's coming going to come right from romans chapter 12 and so uh turn there in your bible right now Uh, lots to cover in this message let's start uh together in prayer as you turn in your bibles god um as we open uh, to this section of scripture we are so thankful for it Uh, god thank you for your word to us thank you particularly for this a book of the bible this letter to the church in rome and uh God, thank you for the beauty of it. Thank you for the way it leads us to the person of Jesus and to uh, the great salvation that we can walk in. Thank you, God, for um, the way it weaves together an understanding of what the church should be. And I thank you for this chapter. I thank you for each word. I thank you for the ways that you want it to be imprinted on our hearts this morning, to challenge us to. To, to even give us a lens through which to see our world rightly, to protect us from uh, things that can so easily um, in, creep into our thinking and the way that we live. And so, God, would you both in this message um, encourage us? Would you protect us? Would you uh, stir us up? Would you call us to obedience? We ask that you would do it all. We believe your word can, and so we are asking that you would lead us in this time together. It's in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen. Um, These two things on the screen are some of the biggest underlying problems in our culture today. If you want to know what is underneath so much of the things that uh, we as the followers of Christ both experience in our own life and struggle and is foundational to so much of what is Um, problematic, wrong, messed up, whatever word you want to use for our culture, it oftentimes can be traced back to these two words, consumerism and individualism. Both of these are anti-gospel, anti-biblical themes in our world that constantly, in your life and in my life, tempt us and want to draw us away from the blessing and the power of the gospel. We can talk about a lot of things in in the Bible that the Bible addresses, but I can promise you that each one of us have felt the pull of these two in the last week. Because here's the thing, as as we look at Romans 12, and as we want to understand that in the context of the church, you need to know that you can't hold on to individualism and consumerism in one hand and hold on to Romans 12 in the other hand. You can't. They're, they're what you would call irreconcilable together. They, they don't work together. They're like oil and water. They're like buckeyes and wolverines. They're like, they're like, they're like dieting and loving ice cream. I mean, they just don't work together. You have to choose eventually one or the other, and your life will be marked by which one you choose most often. So let's look together at what God says in Romans 12, let's get our head around this chapter, and then we're going to dive into it a little bit, okay, here we go, chapter 12, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. As I study this chapter, I realize that oftentimes we segment off Romans 12. And there's times in teaching God's word when you've got to look at a a way an entire chapter is forming an idea. Because we think about this one and many of you have probably heard messages. But look look at what's in the context of this chapter that comes right after it. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And then this next section, notice what comes out of this is this encouragement to love. Nine could be almost the headline of this section. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And then it shifts. We'll talk about this later. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans chapter 12. Certainly, like I'm sure has been done in a series through the book of Romans, this chapter could be broken into a variety of messages. But when you look at the passage as a whole... There's a big move that doesn't just come out of this chapter, but emerges as an important critical theme if we want to study and understand the church and what God's calling us to in the church. It's this big move commit to be a contributor, not a consumer. Commit to being a contributor, not a consumer. Please note that this chapter came after the first 11 chapters in the book of Romans. It's built on that. It's established out of this glorious revelation of our great salvation that we have in Christ. Amen? And and out of that, it leads now to chapter 12 and the implications of that salvation residing in the human heart will lead to what we just talked about in Romans 12, what we just saw. See, the goal for every disciple of Christ is this. The goal of of, of a disciple walking fervently with Christ is to be a consistent kingdom contributor. I've heard it said in other contexts, to shoulder weekly kingdom responsibilities. If you, want, if you want your faith to have an, an edge to it, if you want to have a, a sense that it's growing and that it needs to grow, if you want to continue to have a fervency for the Lord Jesus Christ and a longing and a desiring to abide in him, and for your relationship to grow, the only way that I know for that to happen over not just the first few years of coming to faith, but for that to intensify and grow over multiple years and decades and an entire life is that what uh, what would be the goal of your life would be to be a consistent kingdom contributor. And so from this passage, let's take a look at three characteristics of a kingdom contributor. Three characteristics. First one is, Contributors sacrifice because of Christ. They sacrifice because of Christ. Willingness to sacrifice is the primary characteristic. It's the first thing that Paul turns to in Romans chapter 12. But the starting point, look at it. Look at at verse 1. It says, I appeal to you, so, so he's making an appeal to them. He, he, you, you saw it when I read it, right? He's calling them to give their lives a living sacrifice. But the appeal, look what the appeal is made upon. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, there it is, by the mercies of God. Underline that, highlight that, whatever you need to do, because that is the fundamental motivation behind someone who is a contributor Consistent kingdom contributor. He's appealing to the mercies of God to motivate sacrifice. So, so, so I, you, you have to see what he's what he's doing here. When he says mercies of God, if you understand the, the context of this passage, like I already explained, you realize he's referring back to the first 11 chapters. His summary statement of what he's already taught in 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 sort of describing and defining the beauty of salvation in Christ is the mercies of God to you any call to sacrifice starts by recognizing what Christ has done for you it starts there church i mean as as he unpacks it look he says present your bodies as a living sacrifice like He's challenging there that challenging you there that day by day, you're willing to sacrifice for the sake of christ it's It's a losing of of your ownership of your life. That's what sacrifice means. The church tends to and the individual tends to always find themselves moving back towards me as opposed to coming under the rule and reign of Christ. And, and I'm telling you, this, this truth right there just runs directly against the current of our culture. If you think that your flesh is just gonna wanna run in that direction, like you're just gonna be like, sacrifice, your flesh is just gonna be like, sweet, I can't wait. Okay, let me, let me fill you in with another passage where it says you need to crucify the flesh. That's the only way that you can live in Christ. And so your flesh does not want to run in this direction consistent sacrifice is found only when you've when you're captivated by knowing Christ's mercies it's the starting point for worship you can see here this is your spiritual worship this is the a fundamental foundation of, for vibrant worship some of the things we see in the singing of songs and the raising of hands or the bowing of a head is intended to be reflective of the fact that I have laid my life willingly before the cross of Jesus Christ it then says do not be conformed to the world in what way in what way again church look at the context it's it's do not be conformed to the world in any way that would lead you away from sacrifice it's saying here, don't, don't be a, con- a consumer. Be a contributor. The, the world is always going to glorify the individual. It unites all headlines. Rather, it's, it's like 100 AD or 2022. The world always wants to glorify the individual and try to tempt people to be nothing more than passive Consumers. Instead, it says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Because anyone who's walked with Jesus knows that the work starts in my heart and begins to work itself out into my thinking. Your thinking has to change. That it's not about you, it's about Christ. That it's not about your mission, it's about the mission of the kingdom of God. When your mind is transformed and you're ready to sacrifice, then you're able to, as it says there at the end of verse 2, you're able to discern and follow God's lead. Contributors sacrifice willingly by looking to Christ's mercy. That's the right motiva- motivation for sacrificial service. But I want you to watch out. I want you to watch out because I see this all the time in the church. You've got to watch out for poor motivators. Okay, I'm sure you might be thinking of some, let me give you six, six poor motivators for sacrificially serving in the kingdom. Here we go. Number one is guilt, guilt. That is a poor motivation. Okay, it is not, it does not last for long. This is the, um, I I should be serving because uh, someone's asking me, but it shouldn't be that way. Your motivation can't be because you love pastor Jeremy and want to help him. That's nice. I love Pastor Jeremy too. But that's a poor motivator. Number two is encouragement. Encouragement can help lead you to service. Don't miss this. But it is a poor motivator. Don't serve because someone encouraged you to do it. It can't be the motivation. Listen, I've seen this too often. It's too insecure. It's too unsteady and it won't endure. It won't endure when the flesh rises up. It won't endure when the enemy uses some critical person or difficult situation to leave you going, I, I, I don't know what to do now. And my motivation will leak if it's been dependent on encouragement. Competency, just because you have experience in a ministry area or some level of competence, that can't be the, that can't be the core motivation. Not for serving in the kingdom of God. Here's another one. Tradition. I just serve in the local church because that's what I learned from my parents. I'm glad your parents gave you that example. And I sure hope their motivation was right. But doing something because it's what you have always done is a terrible motivation. It is. Fifth, relationship. I just love Dylan. That's the reason why I'm serving. I think Chris is so nice. You know what? Um, Colin is new, and I think he's cool. That's why I want to serve in student ministries. Relationship. Or, I'm seeing a lot more gray in Brian's beard. He looks stressed out. I think I should help him. Okay? Like, like these, are, these are relationship reasons are not motivators. I love that my service can come through the way that someone can lead me to service, even help me identify my gifts, and our staff love to do that and love to cast vision and draw people into it, but that's not and cannot be a primary motivation. Finally, need. Just obligated to fill a need because there's an absence. Uh, Being a warm body to fill a spot, has that ever motivated anybody? Anybody? I'm just really happy I'm alive and can just fill a spot. That's a poor motivation. And these oftentimes have snuck into our thinking, and sometimes if we're honest, they've been poor motivations for us. You know what the right motivation is? It's right here in this passage. I'm motivated to sacrifice because you're captivated by the mercy of Christ, because of God's mercy to you. Not because the kids in children's ministry are little and cute. Not because the parking team is the toughest, especially in the winter. And not because the student ministry team is a blast. We're motivated by the mercy of God to us, to our soul motivated to serve in the kingdom because of God's abundant, wonderful, beautiful mercy to us in his pursuing and his loving and his reaching and his dying and his forgiving and his blessing and his showing compassion and his empowering you and me with spiritual gifts to be used to serve all of it undeserved by grace. That's the mercies of God. It's what we've already seen if you read through the first 11 chapters of Romans. And if you sacrifice for the wrong reason, church, your motivation will start to run on empty. It'll start to feel like you're running on fumes. And so some of you just need to make an adjustment. Some of you just need to return back to the right motivation. Some of you need to repent from wrong motivators and walk rightly in service. Having the right motivation will actually give fuel to your service. I promise you. Contributors sacrifice because of Christ. Commit to be a contributor, not a consumer. And then second this. Contributors prioritize the body of Christ. In the next six verses, built upon this idea of being a living sacrifice, completely stirred up by God's mercy, to you personally we get to this reality that god's unfolding for us in three through eight that that this idea of being a contributor in the kingdom of god is a vital part of your responsibility and your obedience as a disciple it's a fundamental core reality or identity of a follower of Christ. If you don't see this, there's something flawed in your theology of salvation. Notice what the passage teaches. Like, look at the specific scriptures here. Like, first, the only, we're, we're only responsible to contribute where God is equipped. For by the grace given to me, verse 3, I say to every one of you, don't think more highly than you ought to think because you've got it by grace but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. L- listen, listen. Uh, uh, not only uh, am I doing what I do because I'm delighting in God's mercy, but, there's n- but the pressure is not on me to be something that I'm not called to be. I'm only responsible to steward what I've been given. We were praying for our offering earlier. Only responsible to be generous with, you, with what you've been given with your time, with your giftedness, only responsible to steward what you've been given. Then, then look, it, it, then, it then takes this idea, once it, it gets you sort of humbly understanding that you have a role to play, and by, it's by God's grace, then it, it orients you within the body. It, it says that you're part of one body with many members. So look around this room and think about all the different members we have you think we can shoulder some kingdom responsibility church together? you think we can have an impact? We can if we, if we listen and we hear the truth of this message. And we respond to it. Like so many already have that have got our church to this point. But two services of people. Like what God could do in our community, in our area with that. In your life with that. And so he orients them within, within the body of Christ. He says don't view yourself individually. Because if you do, you'll feel an unnecessary amount of weight. No one has to carry all the weight and responsibility. We're together. It, it actually says we're members in the end of verse 5. We're members one of another. It's impossible to, to, to sit in the body of Christ and, and to think about yourself individually. But too often our culture, and when it, when it creeps into the church, causes us to operate like that. And verses 6 through 8 then is, is, is like, should, should just be like a, you should have a sense of like light and hope and promise and opportunity coming from those three verses. Because the message there is that God's grace doesn't just offer salvation in Christ through faith. God's grace also provides specific gifts to serve the body of Christ. And some examples are given there. Your gift through faith in Christ that God has given you is a supernatural, Spirit-empowered gift to strengthen and or expand the kingdom of God. That that is the most compelling reality after eternity with, with God through salvation. That is grace upon grace. But, but, but unlike salvation, which has with it no end, the opportunity for me to take hold of and use that grace happens primarily only within the context of this life in the work that God's given us in the time that he's given us remaining. God clearly doesn't give gifts for you to do nothing with them. Gifts are given to be used, to be stewarded. Stewarded is a responsibility we carry. And so, after all the rich theology in Romans, all the richness of our salvation in Christ, all the transformation that the Spirit wants to bring, it leads to this: live out of God's grace as a contributor to the body of Christ. God calls you to prioritize the body of Christ. Like, like, you, you've got to look at your life through this lens. Let me just summarize it. This this passage would lead you to make these statements that should form a biblical worldview. Should impact the way you think about your life and the world. Here it is. First, the body is more important than the individual. That's the first thing. That's the way we should be thinking. That should be our view of the world and of ourselves. Second, I am responsible to use my gifts. You have that responsibility. I can't I can encourage you, I can lead you, I can exhort you, but ultimately you have to take responsibility. Then this, God empowers my gift for the benefit of the body. Okay, now when you look at that biblical worldview up there, look at those points directly from this verses 3 through 8. Now, do you now see why individualism is a cancer in our culture? And not just outside these walls. It's insidious. It is right here, present in each and every one of us. We have been born into this culture. We've been raised in this culture, influenced by this culture. We've got to identify individualism. We've got to see it and turn from it. And, and, and there is a writer that has been so helpful in targeting this, addressing it, writing on the subject. His name's Carl Truman. He is a phenomenal thinker, and he's written this about individualism. Just check this out with me, and let's read it together. Expressive individualism is a term he uses, which I think represents so much of our culture even right now in profound ways, is the belief that each person must act or live based on expressing his or her core feelings and intuition and in, in doing so, they become authentic. Or, to put it another way, they become really themselves. Sound familiar, church? Sound familiar in our culture? Then, it is correct in seeing our inner space, our thoughts, our emotions, has an important part of who we are. And this line is just gold. It is wrong intending to see the world as thus serving the individual's happiness. There it is. That I, this idea of individualism it puts self and individual at the center, the center of every. It's like we just exist in a world. This is where individualism ends. We exist in a world where every single individual is at the center of their own universe, and they just try to make their universes just work with other people's universes as best as they can. Hence phrases like "love is love" because I'm just I don't even I can't even give specificity to love. All I can say is "love is love" because we just kind of want to. Have our universes around each other, and we're just trying not to conflict, but it's a failure. It's a failure. It's not working. The reason our culture is a disaster, particularly most recently regarding sexuality and gender, is because of the cancer of individualism and how it's become pervasive even in the church. This worldview of individualism, it challenges, it adjusts or simply rejects God, his word, and a biblical worldview. It is anti-God, it is anti-gospel, and it is anti-body of Christ. It leaves you stuck in patterns of pride. It brings division in relationships and prevents you from being used by God. It will steal your gospel joy and blessing and from the body of Christ around you. And I've seen it. I've seen it in my own life. How easy it is to get sucked that direction and, and drawn that way individualism creates consumers that are primarily concerned with what benefits them. Consumers don't prioritize the body of Christ because they're not even at church for we. They're at church for me. So let me just challenge you for a moment because if individualism is running at the foundation of all things, some of you are very concerned proud at times and confident about the fact that you have the right biblical convictions regarding sexual preference, uh, gender choices, even abortion. But the same fundamental worldview that leads to those ends is the same worldview that leads so many in the church of Jesus Christ to prioritize so many things before they prioritize the church body of Christ it's the same worldview that some of you are giving into that causes people to make the decisions wrongly in light of God's image and the way we've been created and wrongly in light of what God's word would have for us in regards to gender and sexuality and all sorts of things If you're not using what God has given you to serve the body, you're submitting to the same unbiblical worldview driven by individualism. The same cancer is in you. It's just a different form. A biblical worldview, though, it it, it trains you, it teaches you, it compels you to submit your feelings, your identity, your personhood under the priority of the body of Christ, under then also the rule and reign of Christ. It's us before me. I know a lot of us could be up in arms about uh, the craziness in our world now about everyone sort of declaring their own personal pronouns. Well, I have one this morning for the disciples of Jesus Christ. The biblical worldview personal pronoun for us is him, us. Him referring to Jesus Christ, us referring to the body of Christ. That has to be in place of me which is our most common personal pronoun, by the way. You can use whatever personal pronoun you want to identify whatever you want. But the most common one that comes the most loudly from most people's lives, apart from the work of the gospel, is me. And I would challenge you that this is the personal pronoun of the follower of Christ. This is our identity. Him, us. Him, us. Live this identity in how you live and how you engage in the local church. How you wake up, how you walk through your day, how you end your day. Every move, every decision, every trajectory that you might set for your life needs to flow from this identity. We should wear it proudly because of what Jesus Christ has done. Him, us. Him, us. Contributors, prioritize the body of Christ, commit to be a contributor, not a consumer. than this last one. Contributors love by serving one another. Has anyone read this chapter before and just felt like um, when you get to this place in Romans 12, like 9 through 21, ha- has anyone ever felt like somebody cut a piece of Proverbs out and accidentally positioned it in Romans? Like that's what it kind of feels like, right? You're kind of like, these like Paul's long explanations of different uh, rich, beautiful theological ideas, and then you get to Romans twelve and his pace seems to hurry, and he seems to have a lot of extra things he just wants to drop before he moves on to his next letter or whatever I don't know, but and 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 I and until I studied the chapter as a whole, I really didn't see it what it's what it's reflecting is that if you desire to be a contributor in the kingdom of God. You have to sacrifice, you have to prioritize the body of Christ by using your gifts, and you have to live it out in love by serving one another. And what you see here is that this chapter is taking sacrificial service and love and it's putting them together as inseparable realities. Inseparable realities. There's two groups that disciples are called to love. In verses 9 through 13, you can read it again later, 9 through 13 is addressing love within the body of Christ, within the relationships of the local church, the local body of believers. And then 14 through 21 is addressing love for people outside of the church, love external to the walls and the definition around the body of Christ. And this section just gives really vibrant examples of love and action. It, it, you can see how, how, how love really isn't the words that I communicate, but it's the actions that reflect and overflow out of the way that Christ has first loved me. It, it shows you that actions of love flow from the follower of Christ who's committed to being a contributor. See, contributors give to the church and the world, and as we saw in the first point, they give out of an overflow of Christ's love. As I was thinking about this idea and the, the way this chapter ends, I wrote down on, in my notes, I just said, don't be a hoarder of what God has given you. Has anyone ever watched that hoarder show? Yeah, there, there's, a, there's a picture of that show That's about all I want to show before I get nauseous. I'm not sure I love the show. It tends to at times highlight, I think, um, profound mental illness more than it does the reality. But the picture makes a point. It's kind of disturbing. There's a lot of brokenness in these situations. And one of the things that confronts our hearts so strongly in it is because we can see it. It's physical. We can see the amount of stuff gathered. Some people are hoarders simply because they don't have enough space. Some of us are hoarders, but no one will ever see it because we have enough space to hide it or to spread it out. But I'm not here this morning to talk about what you own physically. This passage confronts us with the reality spiritually. When you're a consumer and not a contributor in the kingdom of God, this is the state of your life spiritually. You're a a gospel blessing hoarder. Some of you have spent your life in the church simply consumed about me. You're driven by it. You walk into a church looking for the ministries that will fill some need that you believe you have. You've accumulated over your life, over your time with Christ, even if it's just years. You've accumulated um, more and more knowledge about the Bible. You've you 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 know and and understand this person of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the gospel you, you, but you seem just to want more and more and more and 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 you want just more fellowship with other believers and 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 you just want to collect more information to kind of satisfy your insatiable appetite and you rationalize it by being like I just want to know more about the Bible but the truth is you you just want to stay active in something spiritually but what you're really doing is just accumulating more blessings and realities of the gospel in your heart and you're hoarding that them, and it's satisfying your insatiable appetite and your focus is on your spiritual growth and these things aren't bad or on your maturity these things aren't necessarily bad but but at some point if you watch the trajectory of people's lives in the church it just starts to become about you me starts to win out over him and us and you're just gathering these things up and and, and you're but but if someone asks you to give something away you're like nope I don't have enough time. I got got, got more Bible studies to go to, more things to read. I got to get to this place of maturity that in reality is something you're never going to reach and that God's grace has already been extended to you to to be a contributor. And and you just have no time and and you're just focused on more stuff for you. You're a blessing hoarder. And what uh, Romans is teaching here is that love gives and love serves. There's no qualification for this, except that you've been taken by the mercies of God. Stirred by them. Love gives and love serves. We're called to give and serve by Jesus. And listen, listen. Blessing hoarders are driving people away from the church. Because a younger generation is walking in a church going, does anyone care? Or are they just here? Are, Are they just... Are they just going through the motions? It seems as though they're just kind of playing church. Are are they truly walking in authentic faith? I promise you, church, the younger generation is asking this question, and we have a responsibility to the younger generation. I've had students weeping in my office because their parents, particularly their fathers, come to our church, but have no involvement in their discipleship. Weeping in my office. And I promise you that we'll do everything we can with the people who want to be contributors to meet the gap that we have a responsibility to strive to meet. But each one of you also has a profound responsibility Our staff team right now is walking through a careful process to make sure that the ministry, what we do through our church, is focused on producing contributors who are loving by serving one another. We believe that any true disciple will be pressed by the Spirit of God to love by serving one another, and honestly, we, we feel like there's a lot of things even we've done in the past seven years as a church that I don't know we wanna do anymore. We're walking carefully and slowly under the elders' leadership in that. Like, are we just playing church? Are we just, are we just going through the motions? If Romans twelve is really a part of your worldview is it if it's if it's got into your heart and life in such a way that it's impacting the way that you think and that you live, then then it's going to start to overcome all of your excuses for hoarding excuses like i don't have time." if we don't have time for for what god's called us to then We should repent for for the fact that we have not established our calendar around the kingdom of God because your calendar reveals your true priorities. I feel that in some distinct ways in my life right now. Or, or, Or this, it's not the right season. Gosh. There is never a right season. Your flesh will never be like, hey, it's now. It's never gonna do that, I promise. And the question I have for you is, is when, you, when you look through the lens of Romans 12 to your life, is the season the issue or is it the sacrifice? Or, or this excuse, I'm not ready to lead. Okay, okay. If you have unrepentant patterns of sin in your life, we want to walk with you to see the gospel heal that place of brokenness. If you don't yet know Jesus and you're wanting to figure out how to walk with him, I promise you we want to start there. But, but, but if you feel inadequate, uh, uh, welcome to the party. If, if, but if, you're, if, you're, if you feel inadequate, that's actually a good thing. It shows that there's a humility and a dependence on God and, and that you understand that anything that would happen through my life is by the grace of God. But if you're longing to invest in the kingdom, then, then, then that is what every servant leader in our church, we want them to feel. We want them to understand that the power is not in ourselves, but it's in God, it's by God's grace. So that's not a good excuse. This one, I'm speaking to a specific group of people here. This one is, um, I already had my season. Really? So you've already sacrificed enough in your early years and you built up enough equity, I guess, Then now you're done? You spent your time in the past focusing on the younger generation and so now you're just too old. I'm really confused. Because if, you, if you've known and walked with Jesus Christ and there's been a vibrancy to your relationship with Jesus, then that passion to spread the gospel in the later years of life should be intensifying, not going down. And, and, and I believe it's because of the insidious reality of consumerism and individualism that has caused us to think as a culture wrongly. And I'm not gonna go into all the depths of which I certainly could. And, um, and am, am, am convicted of. But each one of you in whatever season of life you're in needs to consider that. I love that we have with Colin and Stacy our student ministry director and our children's ministry director, a passion to see all ages serving our children and students. We need the older generation. No more excuses. If our eyes are on Christ's mercy, if we've prioritized the body of Christ that we've been welcomed into because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, if we want to love by serving one another, be a contributor, not a consumer, And if you want to be a contributor at Christ Church, let me just summarize it this way. Here's some moves you can make out of this message. First, look to Christ. Look to Christ. Look to Christ. Come back to the glory and the beauty of Christ. See what he's done for you in the gospel. Look to Christ. Second, pursue his mission. He's given it. It's clear. Then, connect with our staff. We want to lead you. We believe our primary responsibility is to train those people up who are willing to sacrifice to use the gifts that God's given them. And our website, mychristchurch.org slash serve, go there. You don't have to answer a lot of questions. Your name, your phone number, your email, we will move towards you. Because we believe this is important. then fourthly, just start serving in the kingdom of God. Just start serving. Have less discernment about your gifts or any of that, just to start serving somewhere. Then, discern your gift over time. Discern your gift over time. Begin to identify, man, there's some places where I really feel some vibrancy and and, and begin to identify that over time and, and receive from other people their, in, their input on that. And then this, number six, focus in the area where you come alive. Focus in the area where you come alive. If you want to respond rightly to this message, If you're playing church, you'll just be like, sweet message, Brian. That's playing church. If you've been compelled by the word of God that I believe is deeply, deeply compelling, you'll respond out of worship and thankfulness and gratitude for what Jesus Christ has given you. Contributors sacrifice because of Christ. Contributors prioritize the body of Christ and contributors love by serving one another. Commit to be a contributor, not a consumer. Let's pray together. God, you know the way that I I and the team of leaders around me at this church, the way we feel this You know the weight that is on our hearts. You know the line that we have to walk between a compelling people to make a move because of of the fact that we want to lead them well and and even the relationships that can be a motivation that we talked about. God, guilt can sneak in and sometimes just pure need can sneak in. Father, but I pray that in our response to this message that, that there would be Not a response because of anything that this broken, fallen, sinful leader has communicated. Not because of the way that some words were placed together in a way that brought heaviness. But I'm asking, God, that the weight that would lead to response would come because our hearts are stirred by the Spirit of God. Drawn and compelled, captivated by your mercy. Your mercy, God. Let's awaken our souls. It's grabbed hold of our hearts. Offers us purpose. Offers to even redeem this life in so many ways. Give us a An energy and a motivation that comes from Christ in us, the hope of glory. Let that stir us and lead us. Help us to repent where we've been consumers and commit to being contributors. Father, I know that anything and everything that you would want to do through this local church is going to come because of the responsiveness of individuals who see themselves oriented within the body of Christ and members one of another. To love not just the people in this church, but to love our world with the gospel. And so I ask to that end that you would move powerfully in response. It's in Jesus' name, amen.